0: Welcome to this new podcast from Art of the Frame on Pro Video Coalition. I'm your host, Scott Simmons. This isn't the usual one-on-one podcast I've done for the last year or so. This go around, I wanted to try something a little bit different. I invited a couple of friends of mine, Katie Henson and Michael Comas, to join me on a monthly basis to talk about what's going on in the media creation and post-production space. We'll also talk about production-related things, and while we're going to sort of look at the news, talk about current events, and how things may be affecting us in the working world right now, we're also going to take a special emphasis on some emerging technologies and some stuff we need to look out for in the future. We don't have a name for it yet. We're calling it the Alan Smithy Podcast, but if you've got an idea, tweet it to us on Coalition. In the meantime, enjoy this first episode, and thanks for listening. Katie Henson and Michael Thomas. I will introduce them now. Katie, how are you doing? Welcome. Thank you for joining us here. Uh, we Thank know you well from the world of the internet.
1: Because <laughs> I'm actually not real. I am only on the internet.
0: You are an avatar. You're in you and of yourself. I, am,
1: I live in the metaverse.
0: You oh oh my god! I'm sure we'll talk about that. So Katie has been around for a, a number of years. She's very uh, smart when it comes to uh, post production technology, and uh, I would. It's okay to call you a futurist. I see that term thrown around. Would you consider yourself a futurist?
1: Um, it's not my favorite term, but okay. uh, I do spend a lot of time thinking about the future of our industry and how we make content.
0: Futurist seems a little bit. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit um, elitist when people call themselves in their bone their business card when they say futurist. But you have to look forward because um, you you want to know what's coming next, in, you know to to do your work as optimally as possible.
1: That's right. And I've been doing that for a while.
0: Doing it optimally or looking to the future?
1: <laughs> looking to the future.
0: Or both, actually. Probably uh, probably both. Also, here's Michael Thomas, who, uh, if you've listened to any PVC podcasts in the past, you know Michael. Michael's been around for a long time as well. Um, both Michael and Katie uh, speak at trade shows. We've seen them at NAB many times on panels and teaching classes and on podcasts as well. Uh, Michael is doing uh, the Star White podcast with our good friend Jeff Greenberg right now. Uh, Michael? Thank you for agreeing to uh, this little experiment for um, a season, whatever that is, a season. Thanks for asking me, Scott. Hi, Katie. How are you?
1: I'm good. This is going to be so much fun.
0: Well, I think the three of us all like to talk and often we probably decide that we, I know personally, I often decide that I know more than someone that I'm talking to, which is usually not the case. That's just in my own head. And I hope the hope of what we can do here is to, um, what I mentioned wanting to get out of this is trying to learn a little bit about, uh, you know, what may be coming and just... Different perspectives on what's going on in our in our in in our industry. Um, so we're gonna, like I mentioned, we're gonna kind of break this down with a little bit of news talk about what happened the following month. We will have a big topic we'll discuss, and we're going to do something called one cool thing. We'll each kind of toss out one cool thing that's sort of caught our attention for the um for the previous previous month. Um, I think. Launching into the news, the big one from this this last week um, was the Blue Collar Post Collective. The annual rate survey has been it hasn't been released, but they have opened up the call for um, submission of data. And Katie, you are a founder, maybe the founder of uh, BCPC, the Blue Collar Post That's right. Collective. Yeah, give us a quick little history on BCPC for those that don't know.
1: Um, the BCPC, the Blue Collar Post Collective, uh, is an organization that was founded uh, in order to really build back community into post-production and to support emerging talent coming into the industry. You know, it's not as easy for people coming into the industry as it was for those of us who did it 20 years ago. And a lot of people really want to give back and support young people coming into into this business that we all love. Um, and so that's really what the BCPC is all about. Um, I'm no longer... Uh, an integral part of the organization but I the one thing I've kept doing is the annual rate survey. We've been doing it now uh, for this is its seventh year. Uh, the data is amazing to collect. It's the only uh, it's the only organization that's collecting data across the whole industry in the US. And the data set every year is made public and a report is put out as well. Um, And it really helps to empower people to, you know, people can anonymously submit their information, but being able to do that means that it empowers pay transparency across the industry. People can look up what people like them are getting paid and negotiate better for their own rates. And I think that's really what it's all about. So uh, you can actually submit now through the end of October um, I've got a bit.ly link. So it's bit.ly it's, uh, 2022 rate survey, uh, is the bit.ly. Um, and, and I, I strongly suggest that anyone working in post-production in the United States takes the time. It's about 30 seconds long, really, uh, to submit anonymously on that because it really, it, it really makes a difference.
0: And is it, is it us only, or are you looking it for it? Okay. It's us only. Yeah. Gotcha. And I think that, um, it's not only meant for New York and L.A., I think. You're, you're looking for submissions across the, uh, across the board.
1: Absolutely, across the industry, across the country, because it's really important that, that, that the more people submit, the more other people can see what's happening, and we can really compare um, fairly.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, if you if you Google the BCPC rate survey, I mean, it's been around. Like I said, it's for seven. This is the seventh year, so you get past the uh, seven year itch. Once it's past this year, it'll go on forever, long after we're all we've all dearly departed. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great thing. It's it's very. I, I, I'm always fascinated by browsing the results when it comes out. When when do the results publish after the uh, date closes at the end of October for submissions?
1: Um, we usually publish the full data set pretty quickly i just give it a wee tidy up and then publish that out and then the report comes out about a month later it's really just it just as when i have time to do it so usually by thanksgiving you at least you'll see that report have you have, have you guys have you guys participated yet
0: it's
2: silence yet because it's on my it's on my to do list i promise do I, it. I don't i don't qualify i don't i don't, give, I don't uh, edit Full time, uh, or even part time. So I, I've bowed out because I don't want to skew any results one way or another.
0: Well, I'm in, uh, you know, "quote unquote" flyover country here in Nashville. So it's kind of, I'm. That's one reason I think it's very interesting, sort of, to to look at and dig into it because I think a lot of people who probably work in the New York and LA markets, while they are interested, you know, those are. You know, they're on their own unique spaces in the market. Whereas it feels like there's New York, LA, and there's everywhere else that maybe lumps into that third bucket. And um, and that's why I would encourage people that's not in New York and LA to get in there and, and partic- participate in that well as well. Because um, I think the more data we have outside of those two main markets, I think that's probably good for such survey. I would think. What, what do you What do you think, Katie?
1: Absolutely. And speaking of the BCPC, uh, also in news this week. Uh, we have our friend Kylie Pena, who is pretty well known also um, in, in the industry and another great, brilliant mind and, and real encourager of emerging talent. She has a new job. She is now the product marketing manager for Pro Video Editorial at Adobe. So congratulations awesome. to Kylie. I think she's going to make a great impact there. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, and also someone else, uh, I don't know, have you heard of this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Michael.
2: This uh, Yeah, this is actually the first time I get to talk about it. It just went public uh, earlier today. Uh, As you know, I was at Bebop for four years and I've taken a few months off, kind of looked at where I want to go, what I want to do. And uh, I've signed with uh, Shift Media as the Senior Director of Innovation. And uh, I'll be starting in October. I'll be uh, starting at the SIMPTY uh, conference that's happening here in LA uh, in late October. Uh, Shift Media, uh, you probably know them better as Media Silo or or screeners.com. Uh, just a fantastic tech stack and some great people. And, and I'm very excited to, to help them uh, usher in this, this new era of uh, remote collaboration. So uh, Congratulations.
0: thanks for bringing it up. Yeah,
2: congrats. Both both organizations uh, will, will,
0: um, will work well or will enjoy use uh, you and Kylie's presence. Both. I'm very excited to see what Callie does at uh, Adobe because as one who works in the pro editorial side of things, it's good to have, because she was an editor once once upon a time. But it's great to have people who sat in the chair to get into some of these more management roles in these companies. So good on her and good on you too uh, as, as well, Michael. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So another news item uh, that's totally separate from uh, what we just talked about was, um, and I know there's so many gamers that uh, are in our our business there, that Google Stadia, their cloud gaming service, they just, they killed that, which I mean, Google kills lots of things, but that seemed like that was huge. They just
2: closed the door on. Yeah, they, they certainly announced that they were closing it down in January and they're going to be refunding some folks and there's some folks that bought hardware. But uh, as they say, I don't want to bury the lead. It wasn't because the tech was bad. Uh, it was because this was built and then competitors popped up and were able to do it cheaper and in many cases better. Uh, Google uh, killed the studio that was supposed to generate games for Stadia. I don't think they even uh, got one game finished. So I I, I think the, the kind of... Uh, uh, bait uh link bait that you see google shut it down because there weren't enough weren't enough adopters uh it was just that there was too much competition uh at this point but i think it does uh it is something to be aware of not just for gamers but when you look at cloud computing in general especially for us in the media realm uh don't look at this as a well this this signals that the cloud's a bad idea no it's not this just happened to be uh, if I can take a risk in saying this mismanagement uh, and not seeing the forest <laughs> for <from the> trees.
0: <laughs> well, I, th- I think that uh, as far as cloud gaming goes, both Microsoft, Xbox, and Sony PlayStation, they have their own s- streaming gaming services. And I've used the PlayStation one, and I was surprised how well it works. I always thought that like streaming is, you hit go and they stream it to you. Gaming is a real back and forth thing because you've got, you're controlling it. So you have things going up the pipe as well. And with the uh, with the PlayStation, you you hit the game. You say, "I want to stream it." There is a there was definitely a pause before it starts to stream, and I've got very fast internet. But once it started streaming, I mean, it was it was it was great. Like it was it was I thought it was it was wonderful. Um, Katie, have you actually streamed games? Or are you a gamer at all?
1: I'm not a gamer, but I think that there's actually a lot of relevance to what we do because um, gaming is really the first use of real time rendering. That's what that that's what it is, right? It's game engines, and game engines oh. are a huge part of what we're about to start doing. You know, we're starting already with real-time rendering. There's a little bit of that coming in, but it's it's huge, right? Um, it's coming into visual effects uh, now. A lot of visual effects are being done that way, um, you know, using game engines, right? And I've also seen people uh, put game engine backends even on on Adobe products, which is really cool. So. It's it's definitely it's something I've been saying for a few years um, for people coming in the industry and they say what's the one thing I need to learn? It's game engines because it starts with gaming. That streaming of material and and that real time rendering, that's the next thing for us.
0: Is this Unreal Engine? And is this the kind of stuff that you to do the big LED walls for? Um, like you know the old Mandalorian that like they was the I think made it famous that they shot this on these these big LED stages. Is, is that what? Is that kind of the same thing?
1: Yeah, it's the same thing, but that's also just another use for it.
2: Okay. Yeah, Michael, did you, uh, did you try Stadia yourself? I didn't, but what I wanted to, to bring up is that uh, you mentioned uh, Unreal and, and whatnot. Unreal recently purchased Parsec right? And Parsec is a, one of the top screen sharing protocols that's used not only for gaming, but also for post-production. So it, you know, if you didn't think that that was going to come to fruition, uh, unreal being used in post-production, and then this happened, if you didn't know that before, you know, now.
0: Well, I think there are, uh, the idea that you can create entire movies in a piece of, in, in a computer, like, and I, I know that that's like something that, that they're trying to push and they're trying to, you know, to, to bring into sort of, I don't want to say the mainstream, but like this idea that you can do all this stuff without ever having to go to a real set. I mean, just by learning some software, I think that's pretty cool. One thing I wonder if someone is new in this industry and they said, you know what, I want to learn unreal. And well, I, Okay, they're making fun of me. They're saying I sound old in the chat. They're bringing up Toy Story. So Toy Story, while we love it from 1999, that took a ginormous crew years to create. I'm talking about doing something like on your on your desktop, a few kids working together on their desktop machine using Unreal Engine, making kids a film. These days in their Unreal Engines. <laughs> I'm telling you. But this is a question I've, I've often wondered. If, if someone comes into the industry new and they want to learn how to to program and build with unreal engine what is that what how do you do that Where? how does one learn unreal engine there's heaps the of training
1: opportunities the unreal and unity are both really open to offering training there's a even there's even i mean you there's training courses everywhere it's it's very very easy um, you can even just kind of grab it and just play with it um i've i've noticed that i mean Unreal. Playing with Unreal, it's it's an NLE, right? <laughs> you can do so much with it without actually having to know a lot. I think if you know After Effects, you'll be very very familiar. Nice. It'll look really familiar when you jump into Unreal. Um, and I highly recommend anybody just have have a crack at it. You know, just. Does so Unreal
0: and Unity it. are they two
1: separate products? Yes.
0: Okay. And do they, do they run on like off the shelf hardware? Do you need like a super fast PC? Can you work on a Mac you can or do have it on you? a
1: MacBook pro it's, you know, it, it's really just performance, uh, what kind of performance you'll get and how much real time rendering you'll, you'll be able to do, but you can do it on most reasonable computers. If you can edit on your computer, you can run unreal. So, or unity. Um, so I, I highly, I highly recommend it. Um, and then if we're talking about these things that kind of run into the VR realm,
0: Oh, I know where this is going. <laughs>
1: Our friends at Meta uh did make some announcements this week as well in news they announced and
0: by Meta we mean Facebook sorry Facebook, let's just get that straight
1: uh did make an announcement two announcements that are very exciting uh headsets and legs uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> hang on there's a, there's a show title if we have to need one headsets and legs he- by headset they have a new headset that's expensive
1: the Oculus Pro, yeah. So the Oculus is, is, has uh, been—it's been a consumer headset. It's been out there for a while. It tends to be a fan favorite. Uh, it's got really nice uh, graphics on it, and it's reasonably accessible. So uh, you know, a lot of people have been using the Oculus. Um, the Oculus Pro is a is an upgraded version of that. It's also much more expensive. Um, you know, some of us have been looking for better um, better security uh, for a while. Uh, not having to log into Facebook to use your Oculus is always a good thing, um, but you know it's <laughs> that that that's a headset that that looks it just looks like it's sort of upgrading what we've what we've had with the Oculus. So I think a lot of people are going to be really excited about that because a lot of people are uh, starting to actually work in VR, uh, particularly in visual effects. So, um, you know, what do
0: you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Sorry to interrupt. Like when you say work in VR, are they, Mm -hmm. are they putting like, I know what years ago, Premiere introduced like that, a way to, you could, uh, you're editing 360 video. Mm -hmm. You can put your headset on and see the output and you can kind of get some controls in there. Are they doing something similar? Well, Adobe
1: medium is probably the most accessible thing. We've, um, you know, I have worked with some uh, character artists who are sculpting in VR using Adobe Medium. It's really easy ah. to use. It's kind of cool. Um, you know, if you are doing three D modeling, you can you can do that with a VR headset and really understand your three D models. So, yeah, um, we've you know, there's a few folks that I've been working with who have been working in an Oculus headset, but Oculus headsets are a wee bit problematic in terms of their resolution. Color fidelity and, of course, security because you have to log into Facebook in order to use your Oculus headset. Um, And so, the Oculus Pro promises to deal with some of those issues. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm yet to see it. Most of us are yet to actually put it on our heads, but um, we'll see. Uh, But I think the 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 biggest thing that everybody's been talking about on Twitter lately is legs. (laughs) Um, I will I will say that keep it it clean. um, Keep it clean. I think it's great you know if we're actually going to go down this route of of this metaversy whatnot um, you know legs is a big one but um, it was also revealed that of course um, they were a little bit ahead of themselves they haven't cracked legs yet the demo was really how it would look if they had legs it was done with motion capture ahead of time Um, so it is at this point vaporware uh, Facebook legs
0: Uh, Do they have an ETA on Real Legs actually appearing?
1: They do not at this point.
0: Hmm. I still wonder how many people on a daily basis are using, um, are working in the Facebook metaverse. Do do, do we have any numbers on that? I know that they're actually having having
1: trouble getting their own staff to use it. But that said, there's always a tipping point. There's always a point where enough people are using a thing that everybody wants to use the thing. And a lot of these new things are just new ways of doing work that you know. And there's always a bumpy start, um, you know. But once enough people start using it, then I think it. I think it really is. I I think it's. I think it's an idea that's got legs.
0: Wow. Where's the rim shot? Wait, hang on. Sound effect. Sound effect. Drums. There you go. Um, Well, let me ask you this. You mentioned uh, like using, working in VR, sculpting things. I think about if you're if you're sort of sculpting, you're doing 3D animation, 3D rendering. You often have to use different shapes, you know, with your mouse, your tablet, to like sculpt things. You know, almost like you're using clay, but you're using these tools within the software. And I don't think that a mouse or a tablet necessarily translates to that very well sometimes if you're doing this you've in, got hands with
1: the headset, with well, that's the what headset I was say, you've got the hand controls
0: in vr like the hand does the hand controls let you make it much more tactile in a sense
1: absolutely and and that's why the people that are using it uh really enjoy it because they feel like they're sculpting something uh, using their whole selves um so you know there are certainly some there are certainly some advantages for certain things it's not going to be we're not all going to be using avid in a vr headset tomorrow um you it's know you've got to get real about these things but um you know right tool for the right job right and and i think there's there's a lot of promise in these things i've always said that i don't think vr is the thing i think it's the thing that leads up to the thing mm. um you know really mixed reality extended reality is where we're headed um so don't get too like don't get too concerned that we're all going to be walking around with an, a vr headset on you know in any time in the future but it is the thing that leads us to the thing yeah and and that's the important thing is Important. Th- oh my God! The important thing is not to say that we know what the thing is, but we know that we are. This is a step towards the next thing. And when we're talking about getting more and more immersive and the opportunities that this problems we want to solve, you know, we really want to think about it in that way. And and definitely, we're we're moving in a direction of having extended realities and more immersive experiences, both at play and at work.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Uh, As part of the problem, like we need more headsets out in the world for people to, like first time I tried on an Oculus, I was like, this actually is kind of cool. Don't have one yet, but it's kind of cool. But we need more of those things out in the world. We've got, um, Sony's bringing out a VR, a new version for PlayStation 5. I assume Xbox maybe have something for, Microsoft may do something like that. And of course, long rumor, long discuss, Apple may have their own headset in the in the works. Once all, once you've got four major tech companies, or three at least, with their own headsets out there, is it going to be a matter of that's going to be the adoption or are we going to get these competing formats again where you've got, you know, Android versus uh, iOS, beta versus VHS? I mean, are we going to, be yes, able to get yes, along?
1: Yes, but at the end of the day, it's all just the beginnings of what, you know, of just adopt, future adoption, right? I mean, it's just the beginning. Um, and, and things are just going to get better. And, and the more we start finding use cases for all of these things that people really want to use them for, they solve certain problems and the more they'll get used.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So headset, I think about headsets and I think about, um, things like artificial intelligence and I think about like, uh, you know, some of the new stuff coming out as far as like, uh, runway.ai and we've got stable diffusion and we've got Dolly. Do those things converge or do we see those as like separate can we have VR and AR without uh machine learning or is it vice versa? I don't that's even know what that means. It's very
1: large, it's <laughs> a very big philosophical question, but you mentioned runway and uh, you know, Michael, what do you think about their, uh, their vaporware announcement this week?
2: I, I I was excited about it. I was excited about it because the well, title, wait, explain it first. Yeah. Sure.
0: When you say vaporware, that's a that's a that's a that's a loaded term, right?
2: Sure. So, Runway uh, has had uh, several different uh, uh, tools in their tool belt that incorporate artificial intelligence, machine learning. computational power in the cloud to predict things, to do things like auto rotoscoping and auto green screening and removing things from video, adding things to video. And they had an announcement that said, uh, uh, we're going to do text to video, which is you can a user can type in a sentence and we will and ostensibly you would get motion, motion applied to video. And it's not it's that runway has their own. I guess you can call it an NLE for young folks out there, a nonlinear editor, a, a web video editor that uh, apparently can tie in to Runway's tech, uh, Runway's AI, and be able to manipulate things that are already on your video editing timeline inside their NLE, uh, manipulate that utilizing uh, AI. And so that would be things like, uh, uh, changing the background on something, changing the foreground on something. And I think that's a little bit of a misnomer because the marketing jargon that came out was that this was going to be text to video. And I think as we'll get to in a few minutes, that still is kind of in its infancy, right? Being able to create, uh, uh even SD video at a decent frame rate that looks even a quarter photorealistic uh, isn't something that can be done today and is, is gonna be a little bit, uh, off in the future.
1: Yeah, the Let's, text-to-video that I found, that the only sort of bit of text-to-video that I found was really LUTs. It was that you can type in, um, you know, I want it to look like this, and then it essentially applies a color grade. But that's not text-to-video. That's not what that means in common parlance. So that's why I called it vaporware. That's why I'm being a little salty about it.
0: I, I did uh, show it to my kids, and I think I took the scene, the piece of video, and I said, like... Um, make it like Minecraft in the evening. And, you know, it did. It like generated this very pixelated mind. It was, it was, it's kind of fun. It's definitely an entertaining thing to play with, but I want to back up a second. We're talking text to video. The, The big thing over the last month, year, several months last year has been the text, text, AI, text of, image AI. Of course, Dolly is the most famous one. And OK, you have been studying this for, for quite a while now. Dolly just opened up to kind of everybody, not invite only. And it's pretty um, it's pretty amazing to to play with. So I just was curious as to um, like, wh- where is the text to image world we're in right now? Are you saying, are we, if 10 is like as good as it's going to get, and uh, zero is like non-existent, are we at two? Are we at five?
1: Yeah, what we're like think? at two or three. Um, and and that's the thing. I think a lot of people um, see a lot of the outputs um, of DALI, stability, you know, mid-journey, uh, from basically professionals that are really good at it. Um, but, but are, they, are they you
0: when you say good at it, are they good at typing in like very specific sentences and, get, and getting okay. Prompt so that oh, there
1: is there is art prompt and prompt designing design. And that's the thing. Prompt generation is an art form it is you know it's like it's another tool to create art with and this is I will I will absolutely die on this hill um just like if you're a sculptor and you use a chainsaw that is still art because that is that is your tool so and I think if anybody any of us think oh you just type it in and you make great art you try it You try typing in something and making great art. Most of what will come out if you're not really good at prompt design is going to be a bit crap or a bit uninspired. The really amazing art that we see out of, you know, stability AI, which I think is probably the most advanced one right now, um, you know, because it allows you to edit and do all kinds of other things, um, is, is really people who have incredible prompts and what they won't, like, the and the cool thing is like, will they re- release their what their prompt is? Because that's the thing, right? It, uh, and You know, that's really what the secret sauce is. It's like it, intellectual
0: property in a sense.
1: Exactly. What is your prompt that you put in there and how did you do it?
0: Um, Katie, could you real quick, run down, if you don't mind, what are like the three biggest of these, these text to image generators out there that someone can, has never done it. Like, where should they go to try this out for themselves?
1: Uh, Dolly is the first one, Dolly Mini uh, stability AI and, uh, mid journey, mid journey, you, you can do on discord is the easiest way to get into there. You can go into dream studio for, uh, stability and you can actually, uh, play with a lot of them on hugging face. Some of
0: the, some of them are are web-based, but then there are, are, I think there's a couple of them that you can, uh, you may have to go into like GitHub or something, but you can install it on your system and you're running it locally on your system versus most
1: of them allow you on hugging face they it's kind of a platform that runs it for you and um so if you're not going to go into github grab the code and and put it on your computer you can actually just do it through hugging face and actually if you want to try something like cog video you can do that on hugging face as well cog video is is uh one of the uh, video generating text to video um Ones that are out there, it, and it will really give you a sense of what the state of the art of text, the video actually is. Um, it gives you about five frames per second in one second of content. Um, what it does is it takes one, you know, it takes one still because we know how to generate still images, and then it just it uses machine learning to figure out what maybe the frames before that might be and what the frames after that might be if there's motion, and then interpolates them and and then kind of loops it. Michael, have you played with these things?
2: I have, actually. I've played with the uh, Google product, which is a... I, I shouldn't say product, I should say research project right now. Uh, it's called Imogen Video. Uh, and if you want to follow along, uh, uh, It's not something you can use, but you can watch it work. And it's a development project by Google that generates less than HD video. It generates it at 24 frames a second. But as Kenny pointed out earlier, it's mainly taking one image and then trying to morph it a few frames in every direction to give the illusion of creating video. But it's like it's, it's not something that could be used for anything more than a, a stone science project. Uh, but if, if you want to see where we are uh, and where Google's putting their money in, this is something to take a look at, and it gives you a really good sense of where we are as an industry with this. It feels like all the big tech companies are, are putting some kind of money into this into this kind of thing.
0: I mean, I don't want to say like AI is the future, I think probably AI is the future, but like this has been, it's been a long time coming because we've heard these discussions for a number of years now and it feels like we're finally getting to a place where mere mortals can actually use this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think it's really exciting stuff. Honestly, there's so many things that we can do with this um, that are really awesome and i know that there's a lot of talk about all the scary things that we can do with it but i you know there's also some amazing things that we can do with this to make our creativity more creative to give us more ideas there's 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 tons of stuff that you can do you can put in a text prompt just to get ideas like we used to do with google image search right i mean that's the cool thing
2: you had a great phrase i loved kitty which was uh, overestimate technology and underestimate society and I think that's a fantastic way to look at any new technology, especially when it's something as dangerous as media, which can be taken out of context by just about anyone. And and this technology does have uh, uh, is ripe. To be used uh, in in nefarious ways, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, there was a recent sixty Minutes episode about uh, one of the segments. I think it may have been the lead segment that was on on deep fakes. And they went into they talked to the guy on TikTok who's doing the Tom Cruise deep fakes. And of course, we know when sixty Minutes is doing it, it's probably something worth looking at. But perhaps it's something they're trying to scare us all about. But one thing I noticed from that uh, from that from that um, that piece was that. Doing a good deep fake, which is what that guy was doing with TikTok, takes work. He he hires a Tom Cruise actor, you know, Tom Cruise impressionist, and he digs deep into the software to make this stuff work. And oftentimes, you know, when something may not work and they have to do it again. But I would answer me this. When will be at the point where anybody can just sit down, type something into their web browser and get a deep fake out of it that's going to fool the average Joe?
1: Oh, that's a wee while off, I think. Okay. Um, it's not that easy. And like you say, a lot of these things um, do take a lot of skill and and to, to do really well. Um, that said, we are seeing with deepfake uh, voices, we're seeing a bit of uh, scamming happening, um, mm-hmm. you know, phone scamming and things like that, especially since you can spoof numbers. Uh, that is a thing. That is, so watch out. Um, yeah, I believe
0: Descript is doing that thing where you can, they, they were on that 60 minutes, uh, piece as well, where you can, you can speak enough into it or whatever, and then it can synthesize your voice into, into a, into a thing. Pretty, pretty convincing. And there's even like, I've used a couple of these voice generators to do a scratch VO when I don't want to hear my own voice for a couple of weeks.
2: Um, and it's, you know, it's not great, but it's way better than it used to be. It's it's funny you mention that because uh, we've all worked with editors, we've all edited where we've all had that scratch VO mic right on the swing arm in our edit bay because we have to do our own scratch VO. And I've worked with several uh, facilities and even big YouTube channels that say, "Look, we're just going to have the talent." record. uh, 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 There's a a script you can record in in different uh, intonations, right? Sad, medium, happy, and then uh, choose the sentiment you want to express during this. And you can type out your own temp VL. And I think that's a tool I never would have thought of that that would have been great for, but there are a lot of people doing it now. And it also helps with influencers, right? Who uh, don't want to uh, be on camera all the time, which I, I get they, probably do. They just don't have the time, but they can create content without having to actually have their face on camera.
1: There are a few lawsuits going on across the country at the moment uh, to make sure that we get the legal side of this right. Um, And so, you know, there's a little bit of a pause on some of the, the development and release of these tools because of that. Once we get past that and we understand how to make sure that people give their proper consent, I think we're going to see a lot more of these things.
2: I think for both sides of that, and and, uh, I can speak to one side and maybe Katie, you can speak to the other. Just this past week, uh, there was a commercial that was released in in Russia uh, for a phone company and it had Bruce Willis strapped to a bomb. Uh, And it was a deep fake. It was a pretty bad deep fake. But there was a story was released about it that uh, because of uh, his aphasia uh, diagnosis, that that he was doing this and, and selling his likeness into the into the in, uh, to this company, and it turns out he didn't. Uh, but th- what that brings to light is the whole ethical portion of doing this, and not just the ethics portion. Is it morally right or wrong? Because everyone has flexible morals to some extent. But uh, uh, at what point does this become a marketplace item? Meaning, when do up-and-coming actors and actresses say, I'm going to get mo-capped or I'm going to get a face scan, uh, and I'm then going to uh, license or rent my likeness to various commercials, to various uh, uh, movies, because uh, I can make more money that way. I can't make 10 films a year, but I can if I'm doing it virtually.
1: And that's what James L. Jones has done, right? We know that. Um, that's a really high-profile version of that. Uh, and, and I think it's actually, you know, it can be a really good thing for a lot of people, especially when they know that, you know, they might want to get themselves scanned early. They can have a young version of themselves. They can, it allows, <clears throat> excuse me, it allows actors to not really have a use by date, especially for women. Um, that can be a big thing.
0: <laughs> Is there a difference between, um, I, I want to get my terms right here. Cause I think one of the first places many people encountered, uh, a, you know, a deep fake, and that's why I'm asking about this term, was at the end of uh, Star Wars Rogue One. And if you haven't seen it yet, sorry for the spoiler. When we uh, when we end Rogue One at the beginning of A New Hope, we see Princess Leia. And obviously uh, Carrie Fisher had passed away by the time they filmed that. So they used uh, a, a deep fake, a, a AI likeness. I'm not sure what the term is, but that was like licensed by her, by her estate. It was done well no one was trying to fake anybody out, you know, depending on who you talk to. Some people hated what they did. I personally thought it was a great way to end that film. Where do we, where do we break Katie between like the deep fake, which is the scary stuff versus like what they did in Rogue One. Are they, is that a deep fake or is is there another term we should use for that?
1: Well, I mean, this sort of stuff has been in development and cross visual effects for some time. Again, before that, Anthony Hopkins at the end of, uh, season one of Westworld um, that was a that was a deep fake uh, where they de-aged him. Um, a lot of de-aging, that's what it is. It, it's face replace, it's face swap technology. Uh Blade Runner, I think Mike Michael you know pointed out uh, as well is, is one. You know, <clears throat> this is visual effects. This is advanced visual effects. We've been trying to do this for a while. Um, look at Thanos essentially Thanos is a deep fake right? It's a face swap. It's facial puppeteering, what we call, can call it that. Um, so really, it's just that, you know, the deepfake side of it is that you don't, I think there's not as much requirement for an actor. Um, it's more puppeteering and anybody can puppeteer that face. Um, but if you, you know, it's, it's a blurry line, I suppose. Michael, do you have a sense of where you think, do you, do you draw the line between visual effects and, and deepfake anywhere?
2: I, I don't think th- I think that line is gonna continue to blur much like uh, the line between editing and motion graphics. And I know I'm, I'm kind of going into different markets at that point, but remember editors would work on one application and that was what they did. And then suddenly it was, well, you have to know some titling, you have to know some graphics, and it then became more of the job description. So I think the concept of deepfaking is going to uh, find itself more and more into the VFX realm. And just like the word cloud, deepfake is here to stay, unfortunately. And uh, it's, it's nebulous enough, just like the word cloud, that it's going to cause confusion for a foreseeable future. Yeah,
0: I think that uh, w- what we're seeing with t- I'm talking about deepfake AI, machine learning, all this this amazing stuff. Uh, we see a little bit of that now, and I go back to the to the media creation, the editorial side of thing, which is where I work in. We've got text, um, we've got you know cloud transcription that's really accurate. We've got um, like Final Cut has the uh, the background noise removal thing that works really really well. You can do face recognition, and, and I think in uh, in Resolve, I don't think anybody really uses it. Um, you know, there's these little things that are kind of making their way into these tools that we use every day, and I feel like that is only going to happen more and more and more as this technology gets um, faster and 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 cheaper. Like I don't know if we'll ever be able just to type into your NLE, create this scene for me out of text, but I don't know, Katie. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's long after we're gone, but perhaps that is a thing coming.
1: Yeah, but then that just pushes us to be more creative. You know. Uh- I think one of the things that we're seeing, um, you know, is that as things become start to look more and more the same, because there's a, you know, there's a perpetuation, right? A lot of these tools, they start looking like themselves. You can right now, you can tell if an artwork has been generated on mid journey, because the more artwork that's generated on mid journey, it starts to look more and more the same because it's model is training itself. And, and so we start to see these things and we and they look like AI-generated artworks. We're going to see more of that. We're going to be able to start going, oh, this looks kind of the same. And so what, what that's going to mean, I believe, in the future, is that uh, human-generated art, things that are truly weird that could only be thought of by a person, things that are a bit more bespoke, a bit more real, I think are really going to come back and have a premium. People are worried about losing... Uh, their value as a human creative, as AI becomes more creative, I've always said I think it's going to go the other way. I think that the value of human creativity is going to be uh, raised because we we, we understand that there's less value in the AI side of it. It's all going to look a little bit the same. And so there'll be greater value in the than the truly human things that only humans can do. And the great thing is we'll have more time to be human and be creative because we won't have to do some of the boring and annoying things because computers can do those for us. AI is a tool. Machine learning is a tool. Just think about it that way. We've just got better, cooler tools now. We do with them what we want.
0: I love Don't that.
1: overestimate the technology.
0: <laughs> I love that as a way to wrap this topic up, because that is optimism, looking to the future, not the pessimistic world that AI is going to turn the world into this giant fake hellhole of a landscape. But that's a much more positive way to um, to look at it. And, and with that, Michael, do you have a wrapping thought on that before we do one cool thing? All right. Michael I does not have a wrapping thought. Michael agrees with the optimism. I, I like i like us to be in an optimistic world. So one cool thing was we thought that'd be a fun way to either, uh, you know, to throw into this uh, into these episodes about what's a cool thing that we've encountered or come across in the last um, in the last month or so. I want to throw start with one and um, it's a book. I often, when I often find books by going to the library, and I just like looking through the new releases section. And I found this one the other day. It came out in, I think March of this year. It's about uh, Disney Imagineering. And um, I'm not a, super Disney fanatic. I love theme parks, but I love um, how they create rides and uh, Imagineering is what Disney calls it. And this one is about women of Walt Disney Imagineering, 12 women reflect on their trailblazing theme park careers. And what I thought was cool about reading this and looking at some of the pictures was that when you go to Six Flags or uh, you know or uh, King's Island, that there are thrill ride places. There are a lot about big roller coasters and we're going to have fun and things like that. But you go to Disney world or Disneyland and you have, they tell stories like it's a, it's a softer experience than something that's all about roller coasters or thrill rides, even though Disney world has thrill rides and thumbing over this, going to this book, I thought that's a good part reason of why Disney feels so much different than like a six flags is I think because you have the sensibilities of women and not just a bunch of like, you know, uh, testosterone fueled men trying to make the fastest roller coaster in the world. Like it's a whole different feel. And I think that book kind of helped me understand a little bit about maybe why that is. And it's a, um, it's a really fun little read. And some of the pictures in there are are, uh, really amazing because Imagineering, I think if many of us said, what's one dream career, if we could just pick it and have it, I would probably pick race car driver or oceanographer or an Imagineer. That'd be my three top things that I would um, like to magically do at some, you know, if I could have a magic career change and um, yeah. So check that out in your library.
1: That's cool. Imagineering is awesome. I I think it's just one of those like dream jobs. I I know a lot of people at Imagineering, man, they, I mean, like you say, it's not just building rides and and experiences, but it's using technology to make those more immersive and amazing. So yeah, it's very, very cool. They really are at the forefront of technology. Um, and and that's where you can see some of the coolest stuff.
0: Absolutely. And not just in theme parks, like the cruise ships have Imagineers, the hotels, like every, every aspect of Disney, there are Imagineers working on those, uh, on those uh, experiences. Michael, what's your uh, one cool thing?
2: Well, it, I was just going to go right into it, but I was uh, thinking about something Katie said uh, at the end of the AI portion, which is things are going to, uh, going to start to look the same uh, or sound the same. And uh the, there's a software uh plugin that's been around for, for quite a few years now, uh a company called Isotope, right? Isotope makes great audio plugins and it really took this took them uh took the sound market by storm because everyone was used to using Cedar or Waves, and those were great, but they were expensive. So now if you know what to listen for, you hear isotope noise reduction on dialogue. It, it's crazy. I was watching uh, well, I'm not going to say what show it was, but it was almost cringy. Like there was so much noise reduction. The reason I bring it up is uh blatant plug. My web series, five things is coming back. Uh, it'll it drop. Uh, well, it'll drop in October. We'll leave it there because I, I don't know when this is going to air, but um, I uh, found out that uh, the new place I'm recording in has a lot of reverb and I was like, oh, this is really bad. I didn't think I'd have it. So I was using isotope D uh, verb and it had the, 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 uh, isotope fingerprint on it, and it wasn't doing as well as I hoped. So I started looking. Of course, I you know know of Acorn and then Waves, but I found another one by a company called uh, Accentize. Uh, they have a product called D Room, D E R O O M, and there's a uh, a creator version, which is kind of a standard version, and of course they have a pro version which has AI. Uh, so I found this plugin did a lot better job of getting rid of the reverb in the room and still keeping the personality of the voice. Uh, and I can't recommend it enough. So I highly recommend you go there. There's a a trial of both the creator version, the standard version. And of course the pro version has the word AI in there. So, you know, it's gotta be better. Uh, (laughs) but there's a trial of that as well. It works inside most NLEs. Uh, it's just great for de-reverbing things. So accentize.com. You said uh, isotope fingerprint. That's that's an interesting. Like I've never thought about that. So it's 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 and and I think uh, some sound engineers and picture editors. I'm sure Scott, you see a transition on a commercial and you're like, oh, I know exactly what pack that's from. Or sound folks will hear the red tail ta- red uh, red tail hawk sound effect that's used in every desert scene, even if it doesn't belong there. Yeah, we hear the same uh, gate opening right in a jail cell that's been used in every sound ideas collection for the past 40 or 50 years so there's things that just stick out like a will like the will home screen yeah right and there is a sonic fingerprint with isotope products especially when you push noise reduction that you can hear on dialogue and it's just once you hear it you can't unhear it that's that's cool Katie, what's your, uh, you got a cool thing?
1: (laughs) I do. So I've been doing a little project over the last few months uh, looking at uh, holographic spatial reality displays. Um, You know, there's a lot of opportunities to utilize VR in what we do, uh, particularly in visual effects. Um, But not everyone wants to wear a headset. It's not particularly accessible for everybody. Um, So I've spent the last several months really uh, looking at all the different kind of displays that allow you to have a similar experience as VR as, as in terms of looking at models um, and that sort of thing uh, and interacting with 3D models but without a headset and uh, I am particularly excited about the Sony 4K spatial reality display For, uh, and in all of the displays I've looked at that are on the market or coming onto the market now this is by far the only one that realistically I would put on people's desks. Um, and I probably will. That's <laughs> You know, you can buy it off the shelf right now. It's, it's pretty amazing. Everybody that looks at it is like, damn. Uh, it's got eye tracking, which is part of what makes it really special um, and really immersive and real. You can interact. It, it just runs on Windows. Um, you attach it to a PC, uh, but HDMI, you can run. Uh, you can, you, know, you can run a real time, uh, game engine off it or whatever it is you're going to do. Uh, and you can really like interact with these models that look like holograms. They just look, they come off into your world. It's kind of cool. It's very cool. Um, so it's a, it's a strange, you geez, sorry
0: it. to interrupt there. Like it's, uh, it's like, I don't know. It's like a monitor at an angle that's kind of inside a box and, uh, well, at five thousand bucks, is this considered like a? Uh, it's obviously kind of a specialty thing, but I mean, if you have money, burn a hole in your pocket. Um, I don't know. Can you? Could, could, could a random person go out and buy it and play with it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, go online. There, it, there are a number of resellers that that you can buy it from today.
0: I would love to encounter this in the person in person because that looks like a fun uh, a fun it little is, thing. There,
1: it is definitely one cool thing. That's for sure.
0: Well perhaps uh, if we all make it to NAB next year that will be in the Sony booth and we can go by and see it if you haven't uh haven't haven't seen it yet. Um
2: Maybe so, PBC could do a review of it, Scott? Oh, do you
0: do you know? Uh yes, put me in contact with, with the person and um We'll have Wow, way to throw back it back on me. Okay, I'll see <laughs> yeah. what I can do. Please, <laughs> man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I think this will wrap up our first episode of this uh, new Alan Smithy um, podcast. I'm going to use that 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 name again. Um, where, Michael? So, you've got where can people find you now that you have a new job? Are you, are you <laughs> offline forever?
2: I, I the ink isn't dried, so I don't even think I have an email address yet. But you can still track me down at 5thingsseries.com. You can also track me down at michaelkommas.com or at michaelkommas on the socials. Very nice. What about you, Katie?
1: Yeah, Katie Henson on Twitter. I mean, I would love for people to just like, you know, continue these conversations on Twitter with us. I think that's that's pretty much, there's a lot to be said. Yeah,
2: tag I us did. all. Tag Scott, tag Katie, tag me, uh, and let's continue the conversation. Yeah, I am a
0: at edit blog on Twitter and Twitter gets a lot of bad rap these days, but we've all three of us have been on Twitter for years and it's still a great place for conversations among like-minded people. So do tag us. Um, you can tag, if you have your own sort of one cool thing that you'd like for us to know about, hit the um, at pro video on Twitter and tag that and I'll keep an eye on that as well. And we'll see what we can come up with next time. So um, thank you, uh, Katie. Thanks, Michael, for joining me here. And we will talk to you uh, again very soon, hopefully within a month. Thank
2: you. Thank you.